There was a uh, a newscast uh, a few weeks ago in which uh, people were watching uh, the, the news channel and they were they were really engaged in the interview. Uh, Andrea Mitchell of, of MSNBC was interviewing Representative Jane Harmon of uh, California, as a matter of fact, a congresswoman from California. And Jane Harmon was was discussing the national uh, the the NSA, the, the National Security. Administration, Kathy knows her acronyms, the NSA, and, and, and Representative Harmon was discussing about the intricacies of the spy program that is uh, uh, afoot in the NSA and all of the, the pros and the cons of this program and, and whether or not it should be legal or not. And the, the reporter, Andrew Mitchell, was, was interviewing her, was peppering her with questions, question after question. It was an engaging interview. It was very you know, stimulating to the intellect. And then, then, breaking news, breaking news flashed on the screen. And Andrea Mitchell, the reporter, cut off the congresswoman and said, hold on, hold on, Representative Harmon. We have breaking news. The viewers on NBC, uh, MSNBC that day were, were gripped in their seats. They wondered, what is it? A terrorist attack? A natural disaster, perhaps? Or, or perhaps an, another new development in Afghanistan or, or Syria or Ukraine? Something cataclysmic has surely happened. No, it was none of those things. Andrea Mitchell of MSNBC cut away from a U.S. congressman for a breaking news report, get this, on Justin Bieber. (laughs) True story. Apparently, this is breaking. This is breaking. Apparently, Justin Bieber had just been arrested for marijuana possession. Breaking news, folks. Cataclysmic. Did you know that? Wow. So not worth it, huh? I'm sure everybody watching the show was like, what? Huh? What is the point of this interruption? Just give me the regularly scheduled program, please. Just let me go about my day. Don't interrupt my regular agenda for this nonsense. We all agree that such a a break from a U.S. congresswoman discussing the NSA program to Justin Bieber and whether or not he smokes pot is trivial. It's nonsense. It's foolishness. There's nothing breaking news about it. No one should care. We can all agree that that interruption was nonsense. Amen? But you know what, friends? There are some interruptions that are worth it. There are some interruptions that are worth it. In fact, there is someone who delights in interrupting our regularly scheduled program. And when he interrupts it's worth it every time though we often fail to recognize the value of his interruptions the title of today's message is god wants 
to interrupt our regularly scheduled program. Stand with me if you would as we read from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And so the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But the scribes and Pharisees were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You may be seated. Once again, verses 1 and 2. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that Jesus went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? The Sabbath, uh, a day of rest in the uh, Jewish uh, religious uh, teaching. The Sabbath emanating from Exodus chapter 20 was one of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath. It's a holy day. For God worked for six days in creating the world, but He rested on the seventh. So also man is to work six days and to rest on the Sabbath in recognition of what God had done and also in recognition of just even the basic human need to have rest and to have a day set aside uh, to just be with the Lord, to focus on, on Him. There were other elements to uh, the the Sabbath teaching that I want to discuss briefly here this morning. Turn in your Bible to Exodus. Grab a Bible. Go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, chapter 31. I want us to see another element, another uh, uh, component to the teaching on Sabbath. Exodus 31, verse 14. And we'll jump back to verse 12. We'll start in verse 12. Exodus 31, verse 12, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me 
and you throughout your generation that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Read that well. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. The penalty for violating Sabbath, and hold your place there for a minute, the penalty for violating Sabbath was death. It was a capital offense to violate the Sabbath. And there are uh, instances in the Old Testament in which that, that very thing took place. Someone violated and they were stoned to death as a result of that violation. A significant, um, Sabbath is a significant uh, law to our Lord in the Old Testament. It's something that meant a lot to him to show him respect and regard not only for what he did in creation but for what he wants man to do and that is to rest on the seventh day, to take a day and consecrate it to God and to not do work, to not do heavy labor, to not essentially spend your, all of your days working and working and working and never looking up and realizing, wait a minute, this comes from the Lord, not from my own hand. God wanted our eyes up. He gave us the Sabbath to do just that. And he made it clear that we are to keep it. Jump over to Exodus 34, verse 21. There were some rules, some stipulations on what could and could not be done on Sabbath. Among them were, were these. Exodus 34, verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. So there you have um, uh, some of the many stipulations about what was and what was not permissible on Sabbath. Among the not permissible elements, you could not plow the field, you could not harvest your crop. That, was consti- that would be constituted as work. Fast forward now to Luke chapter 6, where we are today. And we just read from Luke 6 on, in verses 1 and 2. Now it happened on the, on the second Sabbath after the first that Jesus went through the grain fields. His disciples plucked the heads of grain. They ate them, rubbing them in their hands. Key phrase. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now we have a little bit of a context for why the Pharisees are perking up right now. In the Pharisees' mindset, from their viewpoint, from their frame of mind interpreting the law, when they looked at Exodus 34, 21 and saw the term plowing, but more importantly, the, the term harvesting, harvesting, grabbing the, the taking of crops, they looked at what the disciples were doing and said, aha, violation, violation. In fact, were you to do a study, a, a comprehensive study of the Jewish Mishnah and the Talmud, which are effectively uh, the, the, the commentaries of the rabbis on the Old Testament, okay? Were you to do a study of the commentaries of the rabbis in the Old Testament, you would learn that Jewish rabbis came up with no less than 39 different categories of work that could not be done on the Sabbath, 39 categories of work, among them plowing and harvesting. There were others. 
In fact, Hal Haller writes this on your outline. I believe I've listed it on your outline at the bottom. The Pharisees have stipulated 39 actions that were forbidden on the Sabbath. The disciples had plucked the heads of grain, harvesting, rubbed them in their hands, threshing, blew the chaff away, winnowing, and, and ate, that should be ate, not at, and ate the kernels, preparing a meal. The Pharisees think they've caught the disciples on four counts of Sabbath violation, and I might add, and the penalty of which is death. The Pharisees were among those early rabbis that were collecting and categorizing these lists of prohibitions. And they were very, very interested in what Jesus' disciples were doing walking through the grain fields. Jesus responds in a very unique way. Verse 3. Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This story of David you can find in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 21. I've listed it there on your outline. We're not going to turn there today. I'll give you a, a brief history, a synopsis of it. Uh, David was being chased by King Saul. He, uh, King Saul did not like that David was receiving accolades and attention from the, his kingdom. And so Saul and his men were trying to find out where David was, that they might pursue him and that they might kill him. And David and a small contingency of men were off running away, trying to hide, trying to, to uh, stay safe. And in the process of running away and throughout the different regions of Israel, they, they happened to be hungry. They were low on supplies. And so David approaches, uh, in, this, in the town of Nob, he approaches uh, the priest, Ahimelech, and he asks the priest, may I please have some bread? And Ahimelech tells him, the only bread that I have is the show bread. What's the show bread? Well, you can also look at Leviticus 24. Again, I'm not going to turn there, but you can study it on your own at home. In Leviticus 24, the show bread is the, is the bread apportioned, for, uh, apportioned in the temple that's to be used as, first, an expression to God, uh, an offering to God, and then secondly, at the end of its display, at the end of its uh, display in the temple, it's actually to be t- taken and eaten by the priests for their own sustenance. And so the priest turns to David and says, the only bread I have is the show bread. And, you know, that's not, that's not really bread for you. You're not a priest. But David and Ahimelech, they, they dialogue, they have a conversation, and they decide that Ahimelech will, in fact, give David and his men the show bread, that they might receive nourishment for their hunger. Note clearly what Jesus says about this. He says in verse 4, how David went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. Jesus is the one saying that. Jesus is the one verifying, if you will, acknowledging, if you will, that what David did the literal actions of David when compared with the literal elements of the Mosaic law did not line up. There was transgression. David did not literally follow the letter of the law. Jesus recognized that. 
He acknowledged that David transgressed the literal interpretation of the law. And yet Jesus uses this example. He points to this story as evidence for why he and his disciples can do what they do in the grain fields. He says, if David did that, if David did what was literally not permissible for him to do, so also, Jesus is implying, my disciples can do the same. It's a really interesting interpretation of Jesus, if you think about it. Um, it's, it's a fascinating interpretation, one that uh, really warrants a lot more time and study and effort than we have here today. We're going through this, um, obviously, a lot more quickly. But think about that for just a moment. Jesus acknowledged that David literally transgressed the law. And yet, Jesus says, but because he was hungry and in need, because he was God's beloved one, God's anointed one, who was to become king of all Israel, because God was more concerned about David's livelihood, his nourishment, meeting his need for food, a basic human fundamental need, Jesus is implying here that God overlooked David's literal transgression of the Mosaic Law for a greater purpose, for a greater reason, and that is that David might live and survive for another day. On your outline on the back side, we might summarize it in this way. God would rather have us acknowledge and act in the spirit of the law than merely obey the technicalities of the law. God would rather have us acknowledge and act in the spirit of the law than merely obey the technicalities of the law. In other words, that showbread in the temple, if its remaining in the temple meant the starvation of David and his men, God says, get that showbread out of there and give it to him. If that showbread that was to, by law, remain in the temple as an expression, an offering to God, eaten only by priests after seven days, if that showbread remaining in the temple means the death of David and his men, no way, God says. Give him the bread. In the interest of survival, one commentator writes, David and his companions were allowed to be above the law with the priest's blessing. Another one writes, the principle is not that the rules of the law are unimportant. That's not the principle. The principle is not that the rules of the law are unimportant or could easily be set aside. No. Instead, the principles of meeting basic human need, working in divine service and worship, and showing mercy take precedence over meticulous Sabbath observance. You might think of Hosea 6.6, Micah 6.6-8, in which God again and again and again says, I desire mercy and not just sacrifice. 
I desire that you show the spirit of the law, the compassion and the mercy and the love that is inherent in the law, not just obey its technicalities. And that put, when push comes to shove, when it comes to the death, starvation of, uh, of David and a group of men versus the showbread staying in the temple, Jesus says, man, of course, of course, Ahimelech, the priest, gave David the showbread. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. And now the Pharisees and the scribes, they were put in a difficult position. Jesus points to David and says, see what David did? That's what my disciples are doing. They're hungry. They're eating grain heads walking through a field. And the Pharisees, given that example, are now faced with the dilemma. Do we say that what David did was sinful? Do we say that what David did was immoral, abhorrent? Oh, we can't do that. David, that's David. One of the great heroes of our faith. And so, what do they do? They sit quiet. (laughs) There's no response. Luke Luke records no response of the Pharisees and scribes. They're silent because they had to be. There was nothing to say. Jesus continues. He jumps in one more time. Verse 5, he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) Interesting uh, point about his appeal to David, a man of, of great regal status in the eyes of the people. And of course now his appeal to himself. John Martin writes this, David as God's anointed, was being hounded by the forces of a dying dynasty, the dynasty of Saul. Jesus was God's new anointed one who was also being hounded by the forces of a dying dynasty, the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus appeals to David not just to say, hey, see that example? We're doing it too. He appeals to David because of David's regal authority. Son of of David is who Jesus is. He says, hey, I'm the son of man. I am man's representative. I'm the anointed one. And as David, who was king, was to be king, transgressed the literal interpretation of the law, a technicality so that he could be fed, so also, how much more so can the son of man, I might add, the son of David, do such things? The Pharisees are silent. That's one story of the Sabbath. Here's the second story, and here's the story I wanted to center in on more today. Look at verse 6. We'll read it all the way through, and then we'll go through it bit by bit. Now it happened on another Sabbath. So here we are. We're still in the Sabbath. Similar, uh, uh, similar uh, We're dealing with similar themes here. Luke's grouped them together for a reason and for a purpose. We're going to see that in just a minute. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught and a man was there whose right hand was withered so the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And the man arose and stood. And Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And we had looked around at them all, 
He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This isn't the first time that Jesus is given an opportunity to heal on the Sabbath. In fact, it's already happened in Luke chapter 4. It'll happen again in Luke 13 and 14. Jesus was often faced with a moment in which it was the Sabbath day and there was someone who needed to be healed. In fact, the story a couple chapters earlier in Luke 4 is the story in which Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who made his way into the synagogue in Capernaum. Look at, look at Luke 4. Look at Luke, uh, Luke 4, verses 36 and 37. Look at the end of the healing. Jesus speaks the word. The demon leaves the man. They're in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus speaks the word and the demon goes. And this is what happens in verse 36. All the people of the synagogue, in, in church, so to speak. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word, is, what a word this is. For with authority and power, Jesus commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. Note that last verse well. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now that is not an insignificant statement because you see the next time Jesus heals on the Sabbath or is faced with an opportunity to heal on the Sabbath, there are a few more people in the audience. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel. Because word had gone out that this man was healing. Not just healing, healing on the Sabbath. And so we come to Luke 6, verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Why did they come? Verse 7, that they might find an accusation against him. What accusation? What, what accusation? Well, once again, were we to take a look at the Mishnah and the Talmud, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, we would find that healing on the Sabbath was expressly prohibited. In fact, there's evidence of this in the Gospel of Luke. I've listed it right there on your outline. Look at Luke 13, verse 14. Luke 13, verse 14. This is immediately after Jesus has healed a woman who was bent over with a spinal condition. She was bent over, keeled over, and she was right there in front of Jesus on the Sabbath, and he healed her, and this is what happened in the midst of the assembly of the Jews. Luke 13, verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Think about that for a minute. Let's, uh, let's compare synagogue to church now, right? We're, we're the church. We're not the synagogue, but we are an assembly. We have uh, rulers, elders, 
teachers, pastors, leaders. And imagine, imagine a healing taking place in our midst and a ruler of the church rising up and saying, that wasn't on the agenda. I have the order of service. Welcome and announcements. Check. Sing a few songs. Check. Pray. Yes. Message. Yeah. I don't see healing. Healing is just fine and dandy. Just don't come looking for it in the synagogue on Sabbath. On Sabbath day, we can't be bothered with such trivial things. Oh, you're welcome to come here, receive prayer, food, healing, help. Just don't bother our regularly scheduled program. We have an order of service to attend to. On Sunday, here at church, the worship, the preaching, that can't be interrupted. It certainly can't be interrupted for the poor or the needy or the broken or the infirmed. God forbid. God forbid we heal when the assembly of God's people gather. Wow. You know, put in that light, that statement by that ruler in Luke 13, 14. Wow. Friends, there's a reason uh, here at Coast that we sometimes, maybe not often enough, I don't know, but there's a reason that we sometimes scrap our regularly scheduled program. Sometimes we do it because uh, there's an emergency of some kind in our midst. Sometimes we do it because uh, there's a, a person or a group of people who are in desperate need of our attention and it just can't wait. Sometimes we do it because our very own leaders are the ones who are in need of prayer, of the encouragement of God's people. And I I venture to say that, uh, sadly, there are far too many churches that act like the ruler of the synagogue in Luke 13, 14 than there are churches that welcome an interruption to their regularly scheduled program. But God works in interruptions. God loves, He delights actually in taking all of our man-made plans and taking a really big eraser to them and rewriting them. Jesus goes on in verse 8, He says, He knew their thoughts. And He said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, that is the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? 
Notice again, you don't see a response of the Pharisees. It's not there. (laughs) They're awfully quiet (laughs) when Jesus responds in the way that he does. It's because there is no response. Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, here he is. Here's the man. He has a, he has a, has a, a withered hand. He's been crippled probably since birth. And here he is in our midst seeking healing. And I ask you today, should we interrupt our regularly scheduled program to attend to this man's need right here, right now? Should we do good on Sabbath or should we do evil? Should we save life or should we destroy it? Should we ignore it? Should we just let it go? In effect, Jesus is saying, what are we even doing here? Why do we even bother gathering if we're not going to stop right now and deal with this man's infirmity? Why, why are we even bothering? On your outline, how we respond to God's interruptions is perhaps one of the highest indicators of the maturity of our Christian faith. How we respond to God's interruptions is perhaps one of the highest indicators of the maturity of our Christian faith. Far too often, we receive an interruption from God, whether it's our children who are interrupting us, whether it's a a, a friend who's interrupting our day, whether it's a stranger, someone we've never met, and they're interrupting us, and we've got things to do and, and, and people to see and places to go, and we're faced with an interruption, a genuine moment right there in front of us, a place in which we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and instead we look upon that interruption and say, you know, I'm sorry, I gotta go. I have to go because um, I'm serving at my church today. I have to go. Sorry. Can't help. It is the interruptions that is perhaps the highest indicator of the maturity of our Christian faith and how we respond to those interruptions. This is true of the mom at home when all the kids are grabbing on her all day long and it's 4.30 and she's waiting for dad to get home and the kids are still interrupting. Moms, it's a hard moment. But it's a divine moment. It happens to uh, the men who uh, are being distracted by what they what they want to do that Saturday. They want to watch the game. They want to do their own thing. They want to have their own hobby. And yet their, their daughter, their son come up to them and say, Daddy, I want to spend time with you. I want to play with you. It happens to the workaholic who uh, they look at their job and they just, all they can think of is, hey, I got to get my work done. I'm sorry. I have to get my work done. I have a deadline. There's, you know, I, I can't do anything. I cannot help you right now. I'm sorry. I, I know that you're asking for my help, but I ha- I, I've got to go. Interruptions, friends. How we respond to them. Show me... Show me the man or woman 
who, it, who welcomes and embraces the interruptions of God. And I'll show you a man or woman who is deeply growing in their faith. But a person who's checking their watch, saying, that pastor's going a little long today. Where else do you have to be? What better opportunity do you have than to look around you and say, who, who needs, who needs the grace of God today? Who can I show mercy to? Who can I bless? Today we blessed April with those letters. That's a small blessing, something small, it's trivial, but I tell you, those letters mean something. They meant something to Mignon when we, when we sent her letters a couple weeks ago. We'll keep doing things like that. We'll keep bringing meals. We'll keep uh, offering to, to do child care. Whatever kind of help the people need, that's what we're designed to do. Look at verse 10. And when he had looked around at them all, they didn't say anything. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, as whole as the other. And the scribes and Pharisees responded with great love and compassion And they welcomed the man who had been healed and they lifted Jesus high into the air and said, hurrah, hurrah. I'm sorry, that was the wrong translation. Verse 11, but they were filled with rage. Anoia in Greek. We get the term annoying. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Really the term is more along the lines of, of like a, a mad, a madness. They were furious. They were mad. They were foolish. They were out of their mind. The annoyance, I might add, was what was mindless. Their own annoyance is what was mindless. How could they look upon the man who had been healed and be annoyed by that? Be furious by that? That's what's mindless. That's how they responded. When God interrupted, ah, do we respond like that to our kids, to our coworkers, to those in need when we've got something better to do? We might not respond with annoia, with, with fury and rage, but we might respond with indifference. How will we respond when God interrupts our regularly scheduled program? I'll tell you today, He won't do it. (laughs) He won't interrupt us with the story of Justin Bieber and the marijuana. He'll interrupt us with something that um, would seem so insignificant and so petty and, and trite and you might think, ah, well, that's not that big. But you know what? In the eyes of God, it's exactly what He wants you to do. Jesus said He came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim and actualize the liberty of the the oppressed and the captive ones, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord, even though it might look trivial and slight, trite. It's the interruption that God wants you to pay attention to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to welcome your interruptions. We confess, Lord, that we are often annoyed by them. When they're in our own family, friends, even strangers, 
We get annoyed by interruptions. We think, Lord, I, I, I had it all planned out today. I'm going to serve you later tonight. I don't have time right now. But God, you're showing us here through your word that those interruptions on Sabbath even, <laughs> for us on Sunday, are precisely those moments where you want to grab our attention and say, this is the person I want you to minister to today. This is the one that I want you to be Jesus toward today. God, let us identify those moments, give us spiritual eyes to see them, and to meet them as best we're able. Let us embrace and work when we see your interruptions before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.